Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. I remember his dark, full head of hair. <laughs> well, Jordan couldn't talk, he never spoke, he never cried, he didn't have any tears. He had to feed him to his stomach. So many difficulties. Jordan River Anderson was five years old when he died. He was born with a condition that left him unable to walk, talk, eat, or breathe on his own, so he spent the first years of his life in the hospital. Two years in, his family was told he could go home, but there was an issue. Neither the province nor the federal government could agree on who would pay for this care at home. So he stayed where he was. Two years turned to three, then four, and then five. If he had been a provincial child, same situation, if he had been deemed a provincial responsibility here in Manitoba, he would have been released, no questions asked, and the entire per diem would have been covered. But it was because of his Indian status, federal responsibility, that he never had that opportunity. Six years after Jordan's death, the First Nation Child and Family Caring Society released a report that outlined the impact jurisdictional disputes, like the one that kept him in hospital, have had on Indigenous children in Canada. Two years later, the government unanimously passed Jordan's Principle, a motion that guarantees access to the products, services, and supports to all First Nations children living in Canada. But fair implementation of the motion has been troubled. And I say with respect that as a matter of reconciliation, these things have to be implemented. The time has to stop for us listing inventories of things that haven't been done. We have a responsibility in these proceedings to actually create results. Our son has treaty rights, just like the rest of these children. They have rights to be in their communities, to be in their homes. Racism and discrimination is what's keeping services away from our children, and that's the bottom line. Following the story the entire time was documentary filmmaker Alanis Obamsawin. In her film Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger, which debuted at TIFF this year, she examines the impact Jordan's principle has had on Indigenous families and the battle for true, genuine implementation of the law. This is Obamsawin's 53rd film, so we get a bit into her career as a filmmaker and the unique perspective she's gained about Indigenous issues in Canada through the lens. So let's, I guess, just start from the beginning. Who was Jordan River Anderson? The story is about a young uh, baby, really, who was born with um, needs of... For, he, he never talked and uh, couldn't walk. And so he was born in the, in the hospital in Winnipeg, the children's hospital, and remained there the whole time of his life. When he was two years old, the doctor said that he could go home now uh, or to to uh, another place where, as long as it would be close to a hospital. And uh, he was two years old, and now there became uh, an argument between the provincial uh, government in Manitoba and the federal government on who is going to pay for the expense. And 
it got uh, pretty serious, I guess. And then they said, well, Jordan's going to remain in the hospital until we know who's responsible for the cost. So he lived until he was five years old. And that's when they finally said that they, they had figured it out, but he passed away. He was five, so he spent all the five years in the hospital. Wow. So there was a lot of people who were very upset about this and uh, didn't want other children to have to go through the same kind of thing. And uh, in 2007, they passed, um, I don't know if it's called a motion uh, in the House of Commons, which is called uh, Jordan's Principle, to uh, direct uh, the government uh, to their responsibilities to provide money and services, health services to the child. To all children who would apply through Jordan's principle. And it was human- a unanimous decision, right? Like everyone in the house agreed. But nobody got money through it. Like uh, all the people who applied, the families, they never seemed to qualify because they formed a group of people who were part of... Uh, uh, analyzing the situation and deciding if the child um, could ha- get help through Jordan's principle, and they never qualified. They would always say uh, there was some, from, for one reason or another, they wouldn't get any help. Hmm. So then it went to court, you know, for uh, several years. We filmed everything in court, and... Uh, it was unbelievable because in 2016, the tribunal made its decision and they said that the government was discriminating uh, against um, children of indigenous descent. And, um, and they ordered the government to change their ways and said that uh, anyone who applies... Um, through Jordan's principle, the help has to come right away to which, whether it's provincial or federal that gets the complaint, that government should pay what the expenses are and figure out later their fight and if they feel that it's another government that's responsible. And so this applied to indigenous youth, kids, uh, not just on reserve, but off reserve, correct? Off reserve also. And if, and like, I mean, you know, most Canadians, I guess, when they are sick or they need help, like kids, especially kids, you know, I guess it's the provincial government that's funding them. But because in the city, yeah, yeah but because I guess if you're an, an indigenous person, the federal government's supposed to have a jurisdiction. So that's, I guess, where this guess, that's where the fight was. The fight was about okay, and the, and the film is called Jordan River Anderson, the Messenger, yes. and I wonder what message Jordan was giving. Imagine what message. It's a big message because now, as everyone is getting help, it's all under Jordan River Anderson's name. Mm. And um, the uh, uh, 2016, uh, the government was not obeying the, the rule that the tribunal had ordered. They kept uh, appeal, appealing against it. So it took a long time, cost a lot of money. And uh, finally, uh, by uh, 2017, that's when it all changed, as you can see in the film. Uh, now, everybody that was applying to Jordan's principle received the help, which was extraordinary. You know, it's such a 
wonderful thing finally that uh, they really start to do what they were supposed to do. Hmm. Earlier, the uh, Ministry of Health had uh, managed to put $11 million aside for all the children who were in needs, and they never spent one penny. Their money was there, but every time that somebody applied for for help, they would meet or either by phone or, I guess, uh, in person, and analyze the project and always manage not to give any money. And so the $11 million was returned to, I guess, Treasury. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they even gave each other award for not spending the money. Meanwhile, you had thousands of children that were very uh, much in need. And that is really amazing, you know, mm-hmm. just think about that kind of attitude. And uh, so finally it all changed. Then uh, when uh, Dr. Philpott was named uh, Minister of Health Services for Indian Affairs, I think she really influenced a lot of change because that's when it really started to move. And uh, also there's uh, another woman who works in that uh, in the services of health for uh, indigenous children. She's in the film, and her name is Dr. Gideon. When you talk about the history, I'm curious to find out what's, what is told to the employees. We would say that that was based on a discriminatory um, approach uh, and not one that, is, uh, that the government is currently committed to implementing. The tribunal had indicated that that was not the definition of Jordan's principle that we should be utilizing, and so we've actually received an amended policy authority under the Child First Initiative to reflect the May 2017 uh, orders of the tribunal. She's so incredible. Like, all of a sudden, the discourse uh, really start changing. Up until then, uh, whenever they were arguing in court, uh, the lawyers for the Secretary of State and would say, no, the the government has done everything they can and they they are complying and they're obeying their rules and always defending and denying. And now, with this person who is new uh, in terms of uh, that kind of responsibility, Dr. Gideon, She's very different. She says, no, we were wrong. Hmm. And now the the tribunal has ordered us to do it differently and to help, and th- that's what we're doing. Hmm. And she's, she doesn't say, uh, oh, no, we did it right. No, no language like that. And it, to me, witnessing this was very important to see the difference, which at the end of the line, uh, you realize and you know that uh, when some of our indigenous people are working in those departments, and there was such a revelation to see all the people that fought for 10 years, more, you know, and uh, all of a sudden are getting all the help. Mm-hmm. So it goes to show you that if, if you fight to the end and you believe in what you're doing, and it's just... Uh, and it's the rights of the children in this case. It's not a privilege. It's their right. Well, someone in this film who who fights and doesn't give up is Cindy Blackstock. Oh. Tell, yeah, <laughs> your face, Santa, says it all. Tell us a bit about her. Oh, she is so incredible. Like, we're so lucky to have her. 
And uh, she's very smart and obviously knows the story and does a lot of research. And in court, she's, she's unbelievable. In my hands, I carry the baby blanket of Jordan River Anderson, a gift from the Anderson family in honor of Jordan's principle. I've said many times that I was shocked we had to file this case to bring equity for children, and I cannot even find a word in my vocabulary to tell you how shocked I am to stand here today. And what about 15 months and the government's calls to patience? The word patience is really bound up in this blanket. It's the same idea they used to talk about Jordan's situation when they had repeated case conferences to resolve his dispute. And patience means to suffer without complaint. First Nations children have been suffering without complaint for the 10 years since this case has been filed and for the 15 months since the decision was made providing a very clear plan for the respondent to move forward. They really tried to make her sound crazy or, you know, just humiliate her, but they can't touch her. Yeah. And uh, she's working still uh, to the end and has uh, realized a lot of different things for the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard you in a, another interview, I think you said that when you're making a doc, you have to have a story uh, that you want to tell before you start shooting. So I guess... I know you'd covered this territory before and we can't make the same mistake twice. Yes. So what was, I guess, the story for this film? Uh, well, I it? started uh, myself uh, uh, in 2011 to start uh, documenting what was happening with uh, Jordan's principle. Mm-hmm. And uh, in between 2011 and now, I made six other films. Wow. But I was always having watching what's happening with uh, what was happening with Jordan's principle, and I couldn't finish the film up until now because uh, there was a lot of arguments and a lot of fighting, but nothing was happening. So it's only uh, last October that I saw the difference, and it was uh, it got to be very exciting and really. Um, different in terms of a very profound uh, realization. Uh, it's more than hope. You know, you see the possibility. And to have the the government inside having the right attitude and uh, working together, it was very new and very extraordinary. Hmm. This is why I decided I could finish the film. Well, at the center of this doc and a few of your other films, there's this struggle between uh, indigenous people and bureaucracy. Yes. And I just wonder how has paperwork been used against indigenous people in Canada? Well, you know, it's from way back. The the attitude and the the most damage, as far as I'm concerned, is really the educational system with the books that were written by the church and uh, designed to really create hate towards our people. And they really succeed. They've done that very well. And it went on for many generations. You know, the teacher opens the book. It's a Canadian history. And they start calling us savages. And we scalped the poor white men that came here. And all the stuff. And, you know, when I was a young girl, like often I heard, 
Your language is、uh, Satan's language. So imagine saying that to、uh, the people of this country and、uh, in the classroom as an official、uh, teaching. It,、uh, it was awful、mm-hmm. for a very long time. Well, I, know, I mean, I, I saw a lot of those images in films.、Uh, if you go back, I guess, you know, decades Hollywood ago, films. Hollywood films, especially like John Wayne, you know, like The Savage or The Noble Savage.、Yeah. Um, and yet you work in film. So I guess、that's、I wonder. That's not the kind of film I make. Well, that's true. <laughs> that, but, but that sort of raises an interesting point, though. I mean, why、uh, documentaries as opposed to maybe, say, narrative fiction? I love documentary because it's the voice of the people. It's their own story. And I love to listen to them. And I always wonder, knowing the history here, when I meet especially older people and they talk to me, I always think, how did they survive? And often, first I just do sound like this here, listen to people before coming with a camera. And when I feel I understood what the story is, then I can begin. And also, it's very good for the people themselves to feel at ease. You're not there with the camera in their face and、uh, they're just talking. And it's,、um, it gets to often people feel at ease and they say things sometimes for the first time in their lives. And it's so moving. So, that later on, when I come with a crew, I will interview people on, on camera so that the audience k n o w who this person is. Then I can always go back to the first sound with other image,、mm. which is always so sacred. It's just so, so special. And、uh, for me, documentary is really my passion. Yeah. Do you stay in touch with the people after you've. Yes,、yeah, some,、uh, n- some, you know, when I look at.、I'm, this is my 53rd film. So a lot of people have passed away.、Mm. Especially when I look at some.、Uh, n- n- just think of、uh, Kanesataki, 270 Years of Resistance. When I look at this film, I get such a lump in my throat because so many of those people have passed away.、Mm. Who were very active in the, in the movement. And it's just、uh, that's the magic of film. You can see them after they're gone, but it's still heavy to、uh, have known them so well for、uh, 78 days and then、uh, they're not there anymore. Has your style changed at all as a filmmaker? No, it's the same thing. Same thing, eh? Yeah. Um, but you, you, wear, you wear a lot of hats. I mean, you do singing and songwriting. I've seen some of your performance. Is、um, painting, and I guess I wonder what do those、uh, offer that maybe documentary filmmaking doesn't for you? I do etchings, and for me,、uh, I've done this for the last 40 years approximately.、Hmm. And you know, some of my friends they say, Oh, it's so boring, how could you do this? Because you know, it's a million lines that you have to engrave.、Uh, um, I work with pewter or copper.、Mm-hmm. But I love it. You know, it's hours and hours of、uh, realizing your, your drawing. And、uh, it just brings me into what I'm, why I'm doing this、uh, etching and what's the story. And, and I love it. It's a very good therapy for me. I was just going to say, is it, is it therapeutic, I guess? Yeah. 
Um, well, you've been telling stories about indigenous communities and history uh, 50 years or so going on. <laughs> um, do you think Canada is like, I guess, listening to these stories differently than maybe 50 years ago? Are you kidding? That's for sure. Yeah. I would say the last 10 years is very different, and the last five years is even. The reconciliation, of course, has done a lot of work to change that. And um, you have a, I have a feeling there's an ear, then uh, across the country, everywhere I go, you really have the feeling that they're really listening to you mm. and want to hear. And I would say that, in general, uh, Canadians want to see justice done to the people, mm. which we didn't have that uh, feeling before. What do you think has been the change? I think the change comes from not just one thing, but for, from many uh, many things. Uh, we go back to education. All those books are gone now, but they didn't replace them, really. Mm. But uh, also, uh, a lot of our people are in different places. We have a lot of teachers, doctors, lawyers, judges, name it. Any discipline, there's somebody there that is indigenous. So the educational system has changed. If you go to uh, the first time uh, an indigenous person was allowed to enter university to study, not before 1951, without having to give up uh, your race. Hmm. So uh, all those things uh, has slowly made changes. But uh, right now, uh, it's very different. There's an interest, an honest interest, I think, that people, and the, also the encouraging people to learn their language again and to speak it, whereas before, uh, the people were punished if they spoke their language. Hmm. You know? So it's a very different time, and uh, I'm, I'm very encouraged for the future. And our young people are welcome. Most institutions have a special section that money and a place for indigenous people, whether it's in filmmaking, in the arts, or there's section. So it's not so intimidating to enter those uh, organizations because mm. we know that uh, you're welcome to go in. So that's very different. Mm. Well, uh, how do you choose what story you want to cover next? I mean... Do you have something in the works or are you that you can talk about? or is? I don't like to talk about something that's not uh, finished, really. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I'm, I'll be making uh, more than another film. And uh, uh, I just want to tell young people that everything is possible. Mm-hmm. Not to feel incapable. It's the contrary. And there's so much encouragement and... Anything uh, a young person wants to do, it's possible, and there will be encouragement and a feel of being welcome in these institutions, like the Arts Council, the Film Board, Telefilm Canada. There's a lot of places, and uh, CBC. and So we have a, a large number of young people that are doing video work. And APTN, of course, uh, employs a lot of people. And also uh, uh, screen everything that's being done as long as it's done professionally. Mm. So there's a a lot of um, things that we have now we didn't for a very long time have in the past. So are there any storytellers or filmmakers 
that are inspiring you right now? I'm uh, very uh, excited about all. There's so many people making video, making films across the country. Hmm. Indigenous and non-indigenous? Both. Yeah. But mo I'm talking about indigenous filmmakers now. It's a lot of... Just uh, this time at TIFF, uh, I think somebody told me there's 13 films. That are indigenous-themed. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. It's very exciting. Yeah. There's actually one that's coming out that I want to see called Blood Quantum. Yes, Have you heard I, of this? I didn't, yes, I didn't get to see it. It was shown very late at night at twelve o'clock. It's a Midnight Madness film. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just informed by our producer uh, that the it's director. Not <laughs> well, no, I, he said that our uh, that uh, uh, your films have actually inspired the director of Blood Quantum. So, what do you yeah. think of that? Yeah, that's what people told me. Well, it's wonderful. Yeah, like uh, I made. Uh, Two films in on, in his community at the time was called Restigouche. Now it's called oh. Listigouche. The first one was Incident at Restigouche when uh, there was a crisis there about salmon fishing. And that was in 1981. And uh, Jeff told me he was a young boy at the time. And, uh, you know, it was very touched and impressed and felt that he wanted to do this kind of work. That's amazing that you inspire people and then they, you see them actually get to do oh, it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Do you consider yourself an activist first or an artist? Well, obviously I was an activist, you know, because my uh, when I, I was very much angry because I got beat up a lot in school and I, by the time I was 14, 15, I just, uh, I was wild at city. <laughs> I... Um, but when my father died, I was 12 years old, and I remember that's the day I said, nobody's going to beat me anymore. Mm. But it doesn't happen just because you decide, you know. There was quite a a trail I had to do. And it's, it started right then. And uh, lots of fights and fist fights. Both, like, fist fights and... Yes. Like, arguing, yes. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But do you have to keep doing that, do you think? Yes, but in a different manner. Mm -hmm. This is why I am where I am, because I I fought all the way. Mm -hmm. and uh, But I'm very happy that I believe so much in it that nobody's going to make me be different. Mm -hmm. And I know uh, that I was right. At first, uh, I, just, I, I figure children have to hear a different story. And then I could sing even as a child, and uh, I knew my history, so I, th I thought. I started with scouts. Hmm. I traveled with some scouts. and told Boy scouts? Them, boy scouts. Hmm. To, told them stories and games, and, and I, I enjoyed every minute. And in the early 60s, that's when I really started uh, touring seriously. And we still had all the residential school at that time, so I did a lot of residential school. And also in the 60s, people were saying to me, did you know, Alanis, that 68% of the prisoners are Indian? <laughs> they used to say. So uh, I said, oh, well, that means my relations are in jail. I'm going to go visit them. <laughs> what was that experience like? I did a, a lot of touring in prison. Yeah. Yeah. It was... Um, 
It's something I will never forget. It was in a lot of prison. I was the first one to go in to entertain. You know that wasn't done before, and uh, so I could write a book just on that. It's, it's just incredible. This is before Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison. Like you were going to prisons and. I don't know if it, if it was before. What I'm talking about is yeah. the '60s now. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's around when he did it. I yes, think. Yeah. yeah, and. Uh, I'll just tell you one little bit uh, funny. Like uh, one time I'm going to this maximum prison. And I arrived there and uh, the guard said, oh, you know, Madame Obomsawin, uh, the population, they call the prisoner the population. They said, the population, you know, it's the first time and uh, they're making fun of each other. What are you going to do? Go listen to this woman uh, sing, you know. So I, he said, maybe nobody's going to come. Well, I said, I don't mind. I'll stay until I'm allowed, you know, four o'clock. And it's okay. If they don't come, I'll just leave. And I'll wait until then. And I forget what time. Let's say two o'clock, there's nobody. Quarter after two, nobody. Finally, maybe 20, 20 to three, 500 prisoners comes in the room. And, and I think it was kind of a cement floor, if I remember well. And the noise of chairs, you know, being moved around. And uh, so uh, then the guard took me to the front, and they had a table like this, and I was supposed the microphone was there, and I was supposed to sing from here, and it was a flat floor; I couldn't see anybody. So I put a chair on the table. I got another chair. I got from the chair to the table, then I sat there, and I could see everybody. <laughs> but the funny part was. I was so worried that I might look sexy. <laughs> so uh, I put on a nun's apron. It's oh. like a dress, a cotton dress. Yeah. And, and I sat there. And there was two men at the front of first row. They were laughing at me. They were laughing from, you know, when it comes from far, like it's so funny. Yeah. And I thought, reminded me, reminded me of me and my mother. She used to always drag me to church. And when the priest would go, Dominus Bobby's comb. <laughs> I used to laugh. And I used to think it was funny. Laughing just like these two prisoners. Because my mother would be so angry at me. She'd say, stop laughing. And I remember <laughs> sitting there with my nun's dress and these two guys in my drum. So anyway, I, I started singing. And it was very distracting to me because they were just killing themselves laughing. Yeah. So I said after the first song, I said, if you think it's funny for me to sit here and sing for you guys, I said, these two in the front here, they're, you know, they're laughing so hard, I'm having a hard time. I said, I'm going to sing one more, and if they do the same, I'll sit where they are, and they'll sit here, they'll sing for us, and see how it feels. Yeah. And, you know, without uh, no words, just a feeling, it was like, oh, I thought, oh, my God, they're going to beat them up. <laughs> so I was saying, oh, no, no, I am I defend myself, you know, I'm. I, there's no problem. And so I start singing again, and they were still laughing, but less, you know. And then I'm teaching the, all the guys to say some words in my language. And now they're singing with me. And we had so much fun, including the two guys who were laughing. They start singing, too. And... Uh, then the guard came and said, okay, now you all have to go back to your cell, and you're yelling. So I came down my, from my throne, <laughs> and uh, not one of them went out without touching my hand or kissed me on the, on the cheek, and it was so nice after. 
But just to go through that and, and me and even the two guys, like they said, oh, I was sorry. I said, listen, I think I would have done the same <laughs> because I must look so funny yeah. up there on that chair at the table. All, all, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Well, Alanis, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us so much of your time. Thank you. I hope that uh, people realize how much better it is now, especially in education and how all doors are open to our people, to our young people, and it's possible for them to do whatever it is they wish to do. Well said. Thank you. That's our show. Jordan River Anderson will be streaming on the National Film Board of Canada's website in the fall of 2020. But NFB has added 20 more of Alanis's films onto their site, so be sure to check those out. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and better yet, tell a friend. Do you have a favorite Alanis Obamsawin film? You can tell us about it by writing to us at ondocs at tvo.org, and you can also follow me on Twitter at colinellis81. Thanks to producers Chantal Berganza and Matthew O'Mara, and production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell. Kathy Vay is executive producer for Digital at TVO. We'll catch you at the next screening.